Good morning, everyone, at uh, this uh, masterclass. My name is Adrik van Nieuwhuis. I'm head of the industry office of ITVA. And I'm very pleased and honored to introduce to you, um, well, the guru of editing in Europe, I have to say, Niels Bak Anderson. He's standing over there. Um, it's, it's really my pleasure that we could work together with NCAA, the Dutch uh, um, cinematographic uh, editors. So uh, they came to us and, and said, we, we really want to have the opportunity to share, um, to, to, to get to know more about the art and work of Niels. So I'm, I'm very pleased that we could work together on this. And um, our moderator for this morning is Jos Driessen. He's also part of NCA and he's an editor himself. And um, I just want to ask, how many of you are editors? Just to get... Wow. <laughs> Super. And how many of you are filmmaker editors? Just a few, but okay. It's very interesting. Um, without further ado, I want to, uh, to give the microphone to Jos, and I hope you're going to enjoy this morning. Thank you. Okay. So I hope, uh, yeah, I have sound. We didn't test I, it, but I it works. Some, yes, and uh, a lot of you have probably been thinking what happened in the head of an editor. And now we are going to do an experiment. I will lay down on this couch. <laughs> I will close my eyes and just will put me into a trance <laughs> and ask me questions and let's see what's come out of that. <laughs> no, I'm very happy and very honored uh, to be here. Of course, I get scared to hell when I hear the world word guru. I am uh, very doubtful about gurus and people up there and maybe one of the reasons why I'm editor is that I also like to be behind the things uh, and not in front but uh, sometimes we editors also have to stand out in the limelight and tell what we are doing. So I'm very happy and honored to be here. Okay, let's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, lay down. Sorry. No, uh, yeah, just do it. what we always do. Welcome everybody, all my colleagues. There's a lot of people, uh, very well-known faces here. And a lot of people who already know everything about editing, so I, I hope we can, uh, can uplift them a little bit with some new ideas, new thoughts. Um, and what we always do is, is we go back. We start in the beginning. Okay. Like you were a 16-year-old boy, thinking about what to do with your life. Yes, and I had... I loved film. I love the film with the passion that young men love football, rock music, and girls. But that was my 
and everything that just was filmed was fantastic for me. And then I was so lucky that I became assistant of, at that time, the, the best editor in Denmark. And uh, yeah, I worked as assistant on fiction film for three or four years, and then Christian was pushing me out and say, now there's this little film that I don't have the energy, you can do it. And I said, no, I don't think I'm ready for it, but uh, of course you can. And of course I could. So, uh, so my background is, or my, I never attended any film school. In fact, there didn't exist any education in film editing in Denmark at that time. Um, So, but 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 I, I was very lucky to have uh, Christian as a mentor, and uh, so my my film school was the editing rooms of fiction films, and uh, then I every time I had off, I went to the cinema, and I watched everything that was running in Danish uh, cinemas of Copenhagen. So that was my film school. But that you, you're, you're teaching at a film school in Norway at uh, the moment, not just those few weeks a year, is that how? Yes, yes, I'm, I'm professor in editing. And that is a strange circle because uh, I was quite, it was quite late I started to teach. And um, I, I think I was in my 30s, and I also because I hadn't attended any film school myself, I didn't have a language of what I was doing. I, and uh, but then teaching became a very important thing for me because suddenly I had it wasn't enough that me and my director say it works. In teaching, I suddenly should explain why it works. So I became much more conscious of what I was doing as an editor, and that I think also have had a big, uh, yeah, that meant I could develop and, and had a my language and what kind of film I was working on, suddenly I had a intellectual dimension to, to my work, which has been very important for me. So. Okay, I want to go on because you started doing uh, a fiction film. Yes. For, and then, then uh, in, in uh, 1987 you did a, you did a film. Uh, it's called The Pathfinder, Ophelia Pathfinder. Ah. And it, it uh, was nominated for Oscar for Best Foreign Film, yeah. and it was successful, yeah. and you were successful fiction editor. Yeah. And uh, I want to show a clip of that film. Sure, yeah. uh, I hope they have it ready so we can see it. It's, uh,
I don't know if we have to explain the movie. I don't no, think so. It's, it's, the, it's a place a long time ago in the thousands or one thousand in the, in the north of Norway. Yes. And it was a Norwegian production, Norwegian director. Uh, Asamic, uh, these uh, people who live up in the north of yeah. Sweden, Norway, we, Finland. Yeah. We know them as, as a Loppen. Perhaps, and they don't like that name. Exactly. So it was the, the first fiction feature film that was ever made in, in that language. And uh, to me it was, I will say, somehow I told you I had this passion for film and of course the real film that was fiction. That was where you really could play with the language. And of course, here it was, it was a very simple, very uh, good story. There was a piece that was written. And one thing I will say, I learned a lot in the, by editing this, we can be a little, especially in, in the, when we then do more arty film. But what I learned a lot in action like this, it is to be very precise. In, in other, in dialogue scenes, everything, you know, and in a lot of documentary film, the single frame doesn't have really so much impact. But if you're doing action film, there is, if the action is going to work or not, down, then we are down in frames. So that was, uh, that was great fun. And, uh, you know, music, bam bam, full power, uh, to work in Panavision, which also uh, was a challenge because uh, our fixed point where we are looking in the frame is suddenly very important when we have such a broad screen instead of this. If you imagine you are sitting at first row in a big cinema, it's like a tennis uh, match if you're not right in the fixed point. So I learned precision, I learned timing, and then of course this that at that time Scandinavian film, and especially not Danish or Norwegian, we couldn't do anything internationally. The Swedes, okay, they had Bergman and a couple of others, they could, but our self-understanding in, in those two countries was we were communicating to our own little group of people and we were, of course, trying to make it uh, as good as possible, but there was also a provincial mentality in those stories we were telling. And here suddenly, yeah, bang, we can communicate with the whole world and also with a 
subject where I remember when I was in Oslo uh, and sitting in a bar and people were asking, what are you doing here? And then I was saying, I'm editing the first Samic fiction film. And people was laughing because there is 50, you know, 100,000 Samic people. And they were most known for this special way of singing and getting pissed. So nobody in Norway, at least, thought that there would be a commercial potential. So it was a, one of those films that nobody really believed in, unless us who was doing it, that became a big success. So therefore, of course, there was also a kick personal kick and uh, in, in that. But it was also a culmination of a fast career in fiction. I had, I was editing my first fiction feature film when I was 23 and this just went up and I was doing this when I was almost 30. And then, because the gate of Hollywood have opened, then of course we should uh, play with the big boys. So the director, the, uh, then we made a Hollywood film, shipwrecked, full package, and and uh, big budget, and the whole Hollywood machine. But. Suddenly, I started to lose it. This magic, this film is fantastic. You put two images together and you create something third and fantastic in the head of the audience. Suddenly, um, yeah, I couldn't made my juices flow, I was, uh, I, things had gone too far. And uh, so after that, I, I, had, I had been doing documentary films in between and during my, uh, my 20s, but it was observational cinema, it was very, Weisman inspired at that time, and I came from fiction. I felt it was a little Puritan, you know, this, okay, you were hardly allowed to exchange order of choosing music, yeah, yeah, in, as in credit music, but don't interpretate the reality too much. So, so it wasn't really, I did it, and I think I did an okay job, but I wanted to be a little more, okay, let's be Italian, let's get to the big emotion, let's tell stories. So therefore, my thing was much more fiction, but suddenly I lost it. And I <coughs> was drinking like a, madman and I did my best to ruin my glorious
Hitler's career. And I, I almost succeeded. <laughs> uh, but then it was very much also suddenly what I realized in my coming back, it was also that I need to get something back from the material. I have to be wiser. In fiction, I didn't get, yeah, there was written a story three years ago. I had to balance up tempo, okay, action, it is now, I know how to do that, you know, but so it was on a very storytelling technical area where I learned. But I didn't learn as a sh human being. So, but it's also now, it's, it's, a, it's a good story, okay? I dropped documentary films because it was giving me more, maybe it was no, I dropped fiction for documentary film, and that's a beautiful story at a documentary film festival. Maybe it was my only option. I couldn't get other works. I don't know, you know. But let's stay with a good story, right? <laughs> so, uh, but, but I, there was so, for me, I found out that this in documentary film, you, I learned something about life, about myself in a much deeper uh, way than in fiction. And the challenge of being part of finding a story together with my director in a huge material, it is hard, but it is also fulfilling. Then secondly, uh, what I also realized was that, in fact, in the fiction world, there are, believe it or not, but there are more idiots than in the documentary world. <laughs> I will say, and as a sideman, I, as an editor, I help the director's vision come through. And if the vision or the ambition, it is I want to get rich and famous and have a lot of female attention. I realized there's nothing wrong with those things, but it wasn't enough for me. Here I'm, I'm a hundred percent person and if I realized that my director, it's, it's something hollow that is not my values. It's very hard for me to work with that person. So uh, you could say the, 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 the Pathfinder, it is the last where it still was fun in, in uh, editing fiction. And uh, that was a peak, and, but of course an important film, I learned a lot from it, and uh, it's also sometimes 
I think, from Tracy, but it also is from our mistakes that we we learn most. So so I I, I think I'm I'm I'm, I'm very grateful for for my fucks fuck ups in life. I have learned a lot. I have fucked up a lot. So, uh, and that's why I'm so wise. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Next. Uh, help me. Yeah, help me. Now yeah, I. Yeah, so I, um, I selected actually. I selected two clips of uh, two documentaries you did in 2004. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting with a smaller one, a clip from a film called Prostitution Behind the Veil. It's made by a director. She is from uh, Iran. Yes. But she, uh, I don't know at what age she fled to, she went to Sweden and, and the film is narrated in Swedish. And mm -hmm. It's a small film, but she managed to get into a world that we don't know anything about. And uh, It's a world of prostitution, it's a world of drug using drugs, and it's a world of a strange thing, it's called Sige, which is temporary marriage, which I, I never heard of it. You can actually marry in, uh, in Iran, you can marry for one day, and then everything you do is legal, is okay, but then, and, and or you can marry for 99 years. I just, uh, I want to show this one, one scene uh, where a man is proposing to have marriage like that. Okay. So can we have the next clip? Oh, I'm 
تعبیر پرده که از مشتده سیغه چشمانه برای اون جاره میکنن تا خلوت Like this is uh, it's more technical thing. Like um, this, this film is, is has a lot of voiceovers, which you did show. It's explaining a lot of things, and every now and then, in between this, you see a real scene where uh, things are really happening between people. And how important is that for you to have this kind of scenes in a film? Well, but of course, good film. It's when we are there when things are happening. That's. Uh, and that's often a problem when we are making documentary films. It is, we are not there. There are a lot of films we are dealing with backstory. Uh, that is a problem. How do we tell it? Uh, no, when we are present, when things happen, it's it's good film. But what's interesting with with this film, it was also, I made this project, I was teaching at the Swedish, on a course that the Swedish Film Institute was, uh, was making, and there, Nahid, the director, was one of the students there, and she said, I have some material I want to show you. I say, okay, let's find a lunch break. And what she showed me was so hard. Her, she had made a 40 minutes cut of this, and it was, it started with one of the scenes that I ended having as the final scene, where one of these, in fact, this woman, she tells a story how she had sold her child to get money. And Nahid wanted some advice, and yeah, I was almost shocked, and I couldn't react in a film way. It was more, this is so horrible, and, and I can help you maybe find a Danish co-producer and so on. Because I was booked, but but then the job fell out, and then we, I edited the film, and one of the the thing that is a big problem in documentary film, it is that we want we are good-hearted people that wants to get voices 
to the weak ones, to the poor ones, the ones who is not normally getting their voice heard. That is fine, but what I see too often, it is that we are, in our goodwill, we are victimizing them. It's a big problem in a lot of documentary film, and what is, what do I mean by victim? To me, to feel pity, it's not an equal relationship. I feel sorry for you, I'm standing here looking down at you. And uh, so, so, the most important thing in, in the power of filmmaking, it is this very beautiful thing that we human beings are able to identify with another person. That we can feel empathy and go into another person and say, okay, how is it to be that person? That's why we laugh, that is why we cry when we are watching films that works for us. But in dramaturgy, what are heroes? Heroes are people who act, who's doing something. And when we have to do with drug addicts, they are people, they are victims. Victims are people where the surrounding are acting for them. So what do we do with that dilemma, so to speak? And here in this film, what we did, it was two things. It was we were building up the sympathy for this, these two women as much as possible. So, because if you start with a scene with a woman who has sold her own child, there is taboos in film. And one of them, it is, don't treat kids and animals bad. You will never be forgiven. So if you start up with that, we will never forgive that woman and see her in a social context and, in a, a, and so on. So in the beginning, we very slowly introduce these women. First we see them in this little yard. Then we see them with their kids, like good mothers. Then we hear them talking about drugs. Then we are seeing them taking drugs. Then we are seeing them walking out and doing prostitution, but very slowly get into these women with all the positive. We were searching through this material for one moment where they were nice with their kids. And of course they have been nice to their kids before they got drug addicts. 
so you could, uh, and, but, but it, it's, it's a common problem that a lot of time we filmmakers, we are filming the extraordinary and forget to film the ordinary because it's the exceptional that is, but we forget that it's the ordinary that put light to the extraordinary. And especially when we are making films that we want people from other countries to understand and, and, and so on. I don't know how it is the everyday life is in Iran. Maybe you don't know how the everyday life is in Denmark, so I can't see the difference between what is extraordinary and what is ordinary. So we were building up these women slowly, storytelling, feeling sympathy, and then going slowly into the trap. Then, in fact, and, and sometimes, you know, we, from our position, we have a difficult, let's say that, uh, relationship to commissioning editors. But here I will say that uh, the Danish commissioning editor, there was money from Sweden, then I helped find a Danish co-producer, and then wanted some Danish money in. And there the commissioning editor, she said, if you can make the connection between these women, this human tragic story, and the Iranian society, I'm in. <coughs> but a film just about human misery, there are junkies in Copenhagen, there is uh, in all over, you, could f you can find tragical story, it's not enough for me. I wanted to see it in a, a political perspective from the regime down to these two prostitutes. And, uh, and of course, Nahit, uh, the director, she was, because she knows the country, she was reading all those things into the images. So what we, the only way we could provide that was to write a voiceover, uh, which then took the director's point of view because she had a personal angle to that universe. And uh, an important thing was also that she said, this could have been me if I had stayed in Iran, if I, I didn't leave. <coughs> so this film, I would say, it's very much a narrative, well-functioned film. And what happened was that, at least in, in Denmark, uh, or the, the Scandinavian uh, countries, the the documentary film became more character-driven with 
structure that very much was using the tools from fiction. And there, I, it was just me, you know. I knew the fiction, I knew the, and I had been a little bored with this observational cinema, so suddenly there came filmmakers out from film schools that wanted to make much more narrative film, film with music, film, and there, so I, and that was things I was good at. So I was in sync with that, with my time, what was the way of telling stories. There I could uh, do something, and from my, my work on cinema variety film, I also had experience to sit with quite, quite large number of film material. So I also had that experience. Yeah, it's, <coughs> it's interesting because that's, it's in the same year you did another film, and I think that film kind of was a very important film, actually for documentary. Mm. It's, it's a, just a great documentary called Three Rooms of Melancholia. And it's totally different from the film you talk from the, the prostitution behind the veil because that is a film where voiceover is telling a lot of things is, and it's narrative and it's and three rooms of melancholia has more like it's it's uh, yeah you really if if you want if you ask me to tell the story I think like, I don't know it's it's very hard to tell it mm. and uh, yes. we uh, we can watch the beginning of the film it's not just it's um, I think three four minutes into the film where we start the clip and. We only know that it's on a military academy, but we don't know anything. So it's what start clip from there. Okay. What? Are we sure? Next clip. Yeah. <laughs>
Kotoisinta voi olla sisustaa. Tarina tuntematon. Koli on elänyt kadulla ja kerännyt puuloja elättääkseen naista, jota kutsuu äidikseen, mutta nainen sanoo pojan olevan orpo. Koli kirjoittaa ruumia.
problems with her computer, so I just started. I started with the first chapter, and I was editing the first chapter through, and then she got it up to her computer, and then she worked on it. And then I got it back. And then I could see, ah, that is when she do like this, then maybe she should, we should also do like that. We didn't really talk about the film. Of course, we were together uh, 24 hours a, a day, and we were talking about life, art, politics, what issues that was interesting. But we didn't talk about the specific we should do like this and so on. So it was, and I think with that kind of film, I think it was um, the only way to work on that. Because one of the things I realized quite quickly, it was that I was used to these big material where I had to clarify, clarify, simplify, making, finding the essence of things. And that is the process, the first step in, in uh, documentary editing, it is to make things clear and understandable. But I discovered that with Pierre's film, I, what's interesting with her, she is only shooting, I think, three rooms of Melancholia, one to six, which is nothing. I think the last chapter in three rooms of Melancholia is one to three. And her method, it is that She's waiting, she's looking what's happening, she, but, so she stays the place quite a long time, but then she, as she says, then I know when to press the button. So with this, so my mistake was I was clarifying something that already was in the shooting, clarified. So when I clarified it more, it became banal. So that was my first mistake. I suddenly, I should go the opposite highway. Because Piero have already made so many choices, and if I made that simpler, it became stereotyped banal. So instead, I should mystify. I should create some mysterious feelings in through the images and not a logical uh, structure in that way. So that was very interesting for me to, to discover that. And, and what do I mean also uh, by that Pierre already had chosen, there's for example a scene, classroom scene, these soldier boys they are sitting in the classroom, we hear a teacher saying something about the story, and then the music 
takes over and we are seeing two close-up of two dreamy boys. Normally, such a scene would have been covered. There would have been the, the teacher at the blackboard, the, the space, and then some close-up of these boys. That would, would normally, but what Pierre only had shot, it was close-up of boys. So she had already chosen the emotional impact and focus on that. Maybe in a normal shot documentary scene, we would have in, ended there with two close-ups of a boy. But I think that would have been in the fifth, sixth cut of that. Because first we would go the normal way around and okay, establish and then ah, it comes to boring. Let's try just to make it with those two faces. So, and, and what's also interesting and I have with three rooms of melancholia, it is that it doesn't have a linear structure. I think it's the only film I ever have edited that doesn't have a linear structure. Then the it can be more or less narrative, but the, it, it, it is a motion that goes yeah, from here to there. Three Rooms of Melancholia, it is the structure is in a strange way, strange way, much more circular. It's built up like a symphony where you have scenes, you have repetitions of the scene, you have side scenes and so on. So in the three chapters, so it, it is much more where people are experience a more meditative pace where you, s I think a lot of people also fall a little out of the film sometimes, and then they come back into emotion, and then suddenly there's an echo of something you have seen before that suddenly open up some other emotion. It's a, it's a very special film for me, and, uh, and because it's not following the the normal dramaturgical skeleton, then it's of course also very hard to talk about because it, what it works with, it is very much what's in between the words. I think we have a, one of our biggest problem in filmmaking, it is that film strength, it is what exists between the words and we only have words to communicate <laughs> about it. I think that's, it's, it's, it's a big dilemma we have. How do we talk about film when, how do we talk about those things that it's hard, not that it's hard to express because it's emotional. And what, what, what did you learn from this film? What did you take with you in? I started to understand that there were maybe this 
classical dramaturgy, this fiction that I had taken with me into to documentaries were not the only way of telling. And, uh, and, and what did you, in the editing, because you said there was not so much material, and she used to, to edit herself. Mm -hmm. How did you get into building up the trust in, in what you are actually bringing to the film? I think she was a little surprised that I just started. And I said, but Pierre, we can always redo it. It's the good thing about computers, don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, how did we build up the trust? It happened. Somehow, yeah. I was nice to her cats. <laughs> you know, no, but come on, it's very important. Does it, it sound cynical, but does the director have a dog or a cat or children? Be nice to them because uh, it helps for a good cooperation. But I will say, for example. Uh, I have used, or what we have used uh, in the look of silence, the language there, I will say, is inspired by three rooms of Monaco. This that mystify instead of clarify, where you can see the, the act killing was so complicated on the inf on the plot level. Who is who? There were so many characters, so but we were much... We'll get to that, you just... Yeah, but, but, but where the, the, the look of silence was yeah. so simple in its structure, so there we could much more play in that mysterious area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I wanted to make that jump because the, because the rest of the time we could go to talk about those two films, ah. The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence. Ah. Um, I saw a clip on, uh, on YouTube where you were uh, talking about, uh, about The Act of Killing and you said, I, I edited uh, 250 films, uh, which is a lot. I understand that it's six a year for all your career. That's, did you count them on? I have worked for 40 years. Yeah, and, but uh, it's just, and, just, and, just think uh, that, wow, that's... So, yeah. I don't know if it's 212 or... Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's it's yeah. But anyway, you said, like, in the clip, I never edited a film like this, and I will never edit anything like it. Yeah. You still think... No, it's, it's material is unique and, and even something that looked alike, then it will not be the first time yeah. anymore. Of course. Uh, and and, and so that I'm quite sure of, that uh, the method <coughs> was... Uh, I don't know if we have to... Uh, in, 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 in documentary 
I don't know if we have to introduce the act of killing or the, uh, I just put a clip from the ending actually. Ah. Uh, because, yeah, it's one before the beginning and we go to the ending of the movie. Ah. I think from there it started to, that's where you want to go. So we can show, we can uh, look at it. Bagus sekali Joshua. Bagus saya bilang ya. Enggak pernah saya tadi juga enggak pernah terpikir saya kok bisa ini begini. Satu 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 kebanggaan bahwasanya air terjun itulah mengungkapkan perasaan yang dalam. Ada yang saya
jelas ya di sini ini apa namanya marwah habis harga diri kita yang kehabisan semua rasa takut itu datang pas waktu ini nimbrung dia sekalian memasuki dalam tubuh itu nimbrung sekalian masuk dalam tubuh jelas apa yang dirasakan orang yang disisir panuah jauh-jauh-jauh jadi buruk dari ini karena panuah kawinnya yang sering kami laksanakan penyiksaan ataupun eksekusi buat mereka-mereka yang selalu kami tangkap saya tahu bahwa saya
Okay, I wanted to ask you one thing is, how is it for you? Are you getting used to see this when you see it again? First I would say it's not the director's cut. No. It's uh, the shorter version that yeah. I haven't, of course, uh, so it's, it's, there's something in between the, the television scene and the, Okay. But, um, sorry, uh, how do I... Yeah, because is, if you edit the movie, first you just do all different scenes, and then there's the moment, and with these kind of films, it works like you, with war uh, photographers, they make the pictures and they don't realize it's happening, then they're at home and they see what they actually shot. And with editing a movie like that, I can imagine, like the first time you see the whole movie, that it does something to you. Well, and, and, and my girlfriend, she is worried about me. She said, you are in so dark universes with, with these films. And uh, I think where it's tough, it is when I watch the material for the first time. It is where I open my senses totally and this virgin view that I only have once, it's very important I take in on the emotional level and the subtextual level, how people are saying things, how they are moving, all those things, it's, it's very important. And there, of course, it's, it's very hard to, uh, to watch material like uh, The Act of Killing. In fact, that scene we just saw when Anwar suddenly realized maybe they felt the same as I did in this reenactment. When I saw that scene, I, I started to cry. And it's not, I'm, I'm very, like a lot of men, I'm bad in crying. Uh, I should cry much more, not this Hollywood sentimental that I can get all the up they got. Either this kitschy crying, but real crying, and it just hit me. And it's interesting that that it was the moment where Anwar was showing humanity that made me weak. All the gruesome, horrible stuff it created a dis a distance, but the moment he shows some humanity then it's unbearable, was unbearable for me. Um, so, so the first viewing is so important, but I think also then comes a process where it's something else you're working on. It's structure, it's emotion, and the process can be very joyful. Uh, 
the, the, in the review of three rooms of melancholia in New York Times, they, the critic said it's the saddest new movie ever made. But it was a very joyful process. And it's, of course, it's not to sound cynical, but to turn it around, if you're editing comedy, it's not you're not sitting laughing, you, you know, for yes. two, three months. <laughs> I think, to me, c comedy is very hard to edit because it's so much timing and and uh, and there it's much harder to lose or to analyze the feeling and, and the timing. So, so I think. I hope it doesn't make me cynical, but of course I don't know. Because, but I rather dealing with something that is has substance, and I, I think also when I was when I was young, I wanted to make film. that should portray the world how I wanted it to be. Yes. Where maybe with you want to change the world. Or? I wanted to change, it was more images how I would like the world to be. Yeah. <laughs> Where maybe now I'm, I'm more investigating what's interesting, it, it's also maybe some of the more dark side of us human beings. And uh, and also, what was interesting for me with the act of killing, it is a f it's it's a film about storytelling. It is a film about the genocide, but it's also a film about how we human beings are making stories about ourselves to make sense of our life. Anwar do it, I do it, I react emotionally to the most important decision and then I make up a logic afterwards. But the danger is if we have false narrative and so, so for me, the, the, the act of killing was also a criticism of my own occupation somehow. It is a story about a man who, while he is telling his story, that story destroys him because he realizes that what he is telling is a lie. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering about that because I want to talk about more like the, the way you build Anwar yeah. uh, in that movie because this is the final scene and I guess if you've seen that film during that you know this is going to be the end of the film which helps you know where you're going to yeah. and and then you kind of I know just like 20-25 minutes this is the first time he's talking about he's having uh, 
bad dreams, and then 45 minutes he's telling a bit more, and, and it's slowly building up that you feel like he's thinking about what happened and he's changing. Ah. And, and was that what you had to put into the film, those moments? Did you have to hold back, or was it? No, but what was so complicated with the act of killing, it was that it was a huge material uh, with excellent scenes, uh, horrible, gross material, some of those high-pitched, grotesque scenes. We have 15 more of them that we didn't include in the film. Uh, but of course we had a, a classical, in Anwar's case, character-driven development story that is very classical, built up. Uh, but what was very important for Joss and me, it was that it, Anwar was seen in a political context and as part of the society that was built on a genocide and have kept the lies going. And that nobody, that these killers was praised as heroes in the same way that, uh, so, so that is I think one of the problems with our, with the, the character-driven documentary film, it is that we are isolating us human beings from a bigger context. It makes interesting, very easy to follow. We can identify with one person, but I doubt that it gives a full image of the world, how we are living today. We are, I think that we human beings today are as much as part of our times and the world as the peasant 300 years ago who was living, uh, thinking the earth is flat and God exists. But I think it's interesting that we, modern human being, we are seeing ourselves as mini Hollywood narratives. Modern human being, we see ourselves as stories that we should develop ourselves. We should, we are, we don't believe in God anymore, but we believe in psychology. And uh, so we put ourselves, the individual, in the center and don't see us as part of a time and uh, a society. Yeah, you, you were talking about this yesterday and, and you talked about that it's really hard to make documentaries nowadays because people are so aware of that, aware of yeah. themselves. Aware of, uh, yes, and that was of course also one of the things that is very interesting in the act of killing where just on purpose we're using this 
performativity some have, that have been part of our modern culture. Everybody is performing. When I was young, it was people who was good at something that was in television shows. Now it's the neighbor in talent show that is, is the most popular. Everybody can be a star. Everybody is taking selfies and thinking themselves as a visual story. And that means that, that documentary films are standing uh, in front of, of that challenge that everybody is performing when you start a camera today. You can't, in the Western culture, just be the fly on the wall. People will start to react to the camera. And uh, I think that's, that's a big, uh, challenge that we are, are standing in front of, and I, and, but we're just we're using that need for performativity as a vertical in his film. And some people have criticized, and it's fine, with this reenactment and and uh, using that and. But what we always were looking for, it wasn't just some gangsters, murders that was performing in their own fantasy world. What we were looking for, it is when there happened a crack in the performance. When Anwar realized he can't play the role that he had played the last 30 years. I'm the big, I killed the comedy suddenly this moment out of authenticity, that is what we are looking for. And the problem with the performative culture right now, it is that I think we know the difference. We human beings, when we are watching each other, we are very fast in reading each other's subtexts. Who are you? How are you talking? How are you looking? How are you using your hand? It is part of our communication. And I think that because, of course, we have a lot of performances, the reality shows it's, it's built on performance. And there we have a lot of big emotion, people are crying, they are fighting, they are making love, it's all what should be good film, right? It's emotion. But the authenticity is not there. So we, and, but, and that means, I think there can, can be, have an entertainment value to it, but we are looking at it from distance. Isn't it like the same thing when you're using a lot of interviews in, in, in documentary instead of having real scenes that people, it's much easier for people to play something, to explain themselves instead of... Maybe I, I think, but, but, but a, a good interview 
it is also the moment where the one who is interviewed forgets himself. Yes, of course. It's where part, there yeah. is that authentic moment, yeah. uh, I think, and it's the same thing in real scenes. I think an interview or conversation can be fantastic if we have that feeling of authenticity. And I think the reason why it creates distance, I think it's very simple. This, I, if I'm right, that the power of film is identification. Yeah. Then we human beings are smart. I will not enter you if I feel you're a fake. So we are watching with distance. We are not entering the character as it could be me because I don't trust them. I can see them from outside, but I don't trust them enough that I will enter them. So, so I, I think it, it is a, a big problem in a lot, and I see a lot of documentary film where um, the directors hasn't been clear what is the character's motive to tell that story and what is my motive. They find a charismatic person who is stealing the film and only staying on the surface of a performance and because this person is charismatic, then there never come this authentic layer where the director is not of course, we should be close to our characters, but we should also see them with distance. We are not telling their story. We are telling our story. And that, that I think it's even more important to know or be aware of in this when the people in front of the camera are performing much more and that a lot of us, we want to have control over the films. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I wanted to go to, to a, a different clip because uh, tell me a little bit what happened because the act of killing uh, was about uh, the, uh, the, killer, the killers and the, the victims were, you just didn't put in the, the victim stories and then you had a lot of material of the victim stories. And tell me a little bit how, you, how that worked. Yeah, what, what we, Josh and I was agreeing on, it was that the evil is part of, of us human beings. And we knew if we was putting in the victims in the same film as the killers, they, the killers would just be m even more monstrous. So we made that uh, controversial decision to leave out the good totally from this film. Because we wanted to understand the mechanism and the self-seduction of the evil. But that was controversial because in all films we have those 
hold between the good and the bad. So there were some commissioning editors that wasn't happy and, uh, and uh, for that decision. But it was, it was important to, and in fact, what we were working on, it was to make these guys as human as possible. It might not look like it, but we are spending quite much time with Anwar, where he is dressing up. He's a vain man. We come on, we had lots of good material, dramatic scenes, all kinds of things, but we are spending one and a half minutes of Anwar is looking in the mirror, putting on different sunglasses in a character description. Um, one of the, of, of the problem we had in, in this film was overkill. When are we making the audience numb? And in fact, we, we, we needed breathing space. And there we had, uh, there wasn't, in the original material, even it had been shot over six years, there wasn't much master shots. And then we found out that there was a certain type of master shot which is not a description of a geography. Now we are here. And there was one image, it's in the beginning of the film, where we have a parallel scene to this on the roof, where Anwar, for the first time, very proud, are showing how he's killing people without wanting. And then in that material, then there was a shot over the rooftops of this city, and then there was a little mast, and then there's a tiny little man in the mast. And that image had, okay, what's that? So it had a doubleness, and <coughs> it was very long, and it kept the image. So we made a definition, we called it plateaus. And then when, the, when I had summer holiday, Josh went to Indonesia, and was filming tons of those master shots with a doubleness to it, and we used it as part of our language to paste down, to give space for the audience to digest this very strange, powerful, absurd universe that we are in. Is there something you do, you send them need more of these kind of shots, so They should do, just should do filming for the look of silence, and, and then we also say, but we need these shots also. Yeah. I want to show a little clip of the look of silence, because that's the film about the victims, and, and I want to show the beginning of the film. Okay. Can we do the next clip?
Silence and, and the, the act of killing is a very noisy film, and, and a lot of things are going on, and you wanted to do this in a different way. 
And how did this first scene, how, how did it develop? Normally, I would say when I start on a, on a new film, I try to seduce myself and say it's the first film I ever have edited. And that is because I think that every material has its own logic, its own uh, power. And if I'm carrying too many old film into with me into look, looking at that material, then I'm ruining something that is very precious for this material. But one of the things that I'm very confident in, it is in the whole process, where I can rely very much on my experience. And uh, one of, of, of the, the things I have learned of experience, I never start with the beginning, editing the beginning. Because in documentary, I don't know the film yet. So if I'm spending a lot of time making the beginning, in the beginning of the process, 99% of the cases I have to re-edit it. Because when I'm First, when I'm through the first draft, I start to understand what kind of film it is. So that is one of those methods. I wait until I through first draft, then I'm much more precise. Can can make my my beginning with uh, look of silence. We somehow. When we started editing, the act of killing had come out at, to our surprise. We knew it was something different, but uh, not that it would be such a success at, in the film community and, and so on, or at least discussed. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people who hate it. It also, and that's wonderful. It's a big hate. Is a big emotion, and uh, also so it's at least it do something to people. Uh, but in our process, I remember I said just that we somehow, if if we should make a little brother to the act of killing, something that were the same, uh, had some of the same power, then I think that we should have a very special language. So what we did the first two weeks, it was we were just playing with images. We didn't talk about structure for, or anything, we were just playing around, creating mysterious, strange things. And out of that came 
the opening. It was out of this plane. So it's, it's wonderful about rules that you, when you also can break them. So in fact, this film, the editing process ended the first thing what we had was the beginning. And I haven't changed a frame in the timing of that uh, opening since the first cut. That, that we could be so precise was of course also because we had worked together for one year on the act. We had a big trust in each other. We had, especially working with, in the act of killing towards the end, there comes, in the beginning we have their film project and we have our filming of them and it's kind of two films, <coughs> but towards the end in the director's cut, the two films melt together, what is there, what is our film in a, a surreal, apocalyptic nightmare. And to work in this surreal landscape, uh, I had never tried that before and both Josh and I found this, what have we learned from the act of killing that we could continue into the look of silence in our language. I have already talked about, we had these tableaus that we called it, these master shots, it, it's something we like this one, yeah. continued working with. And then it was very much this to hold back and mystify the first six, seven minutes, we are just loading. We are creating a suspense. We are not giving any, it's, I think it's eight minutes in the film, we understand who are that man who is looking at that television, what's the connection with this old lady, what is this, the different elements are put together and there the story slowly started. But we were, we were working and say, okay, people will know this film is about a genocide. They will probably have read something about it. Maybe some have seen the act of killing. Their expectation is now I'm going to see something horrible. With that starting point, we can just put up some mysterious and create tension because I already have the fear in you, in you. So I'm just playing and holding back, not giving you what, oh, now is coming this terrible thing, but loading and loading. And we are also, for example, one thing, we took the silence very serious, where the act of killing is yeah, noisy, it's almost shouting at you, and how do you make a number two? 
when you have already banged against the roof, some will say we went through, we can't get higher. So we had to go contra and was making this film as silent as possible. For example, we also, when Addy, our main character, when he was watching television of his brother's killers and other of these guys, in the original shooting, he was also commenting. He was saying, he was trying to put words and, and explain these guys and so on. But it was less powerful. So we were using the pieces where he just was silent. This, that a man is just sitting and has this strong, good face, is watching his brother's killers. He doesn't need to comment that. It's much more powerful that you give that space to the audience and say, what is he thinking? The more we can give, make the audience work, the better. We all, we love those films where we are part of the storytelling, where we are not told everything. So the more we can give out and let the audience be part of the storytelling, the better, the bigger experiences. That's it. I was just say that because that's what you're doing in the film. Mm. Adi is not, he's just watching and he's watching, listening to the stories, asking, maybe asking questions, but this He's not breaking, and then it's, I actually had one scene ready, but I think we don't have time for it anymore. Uh -huh. After one hour, there's a moment where he's talking to his uncle, and at the end of the scene, he breaks, and you see tears in his eyes. And, uh -huh. and we talk about, you, you were holding back all the moments before in the film where he was actually reacting and doing that, but you build up to that moment. <laughs> and, uh, but I think far too often we I see a lot of films where there's a lot of emotions uh, and, and off people are crying or, and, and so on, and, and there's a misunderstanding. It is not the people on the screen that should cry. It's the audience. And sometimes it's 10 times more powerful to see a person who is fighting not to cry, than to see them cry. And also that we have a tendency not, of course we shouldn't make people cry, we shouldn't let Adi cry until the end. We are pushing, we are building up the tension all the way through, and if we make people cry in the middle, then you are losing tension. It's a moment of relief. It's the same with laughter. We love, we want to please our audience, so, okay, oh, they laughed here. The director, they, yes, but they laughed the wrong moment. They, we are, we are losing the tension. And the, a very good example is also in, in 
with the look of silence where we have a scene we called the river walk. It is where, where Eddie, first we see his brother's killers going down to the river explaining how they were killing uh, his brother. Some old material. And then we see Eddie and an old man who managed to escape that night where the brother was killed. So they are walking the same route down to this river where they just were killing people and throwing them in. What this scene was covered by a good photographer. So this river bank was covered with close-up of Addy who was crying and you know all that around. So it could build up to this big emotional scene. What we kept, it was two and a half minute walk towards the riverbank. And the old man is praying and Addy get more and more tense in his face. They arrive to the riverbank. We have one cut to the river and then we leave the scene. We don't let Adi cry there, but the whole tension is continuing into the following scenes. So I would say one of my best tricks as an editor, it is hold back, hold back, find the, of course there should be some tension that you can that push the film or the experience ahead but I see too far too many films where they are telling too fast and too much too quickly instead of giving one thing that have attention use the energy of that then the next one and, and so on so and don't give away or give away, lose the tension at the right moments. So, so thank you. It's, it's, it's done. <laughs> yeah, I think we have two minutes for questions. <laughs> Is there two minutes question? For two minutes for question from you. Because, uh, there are so many things. I have another scene. Yeah, yeah, so many yeah. things to discuss. We could go on for hours. And two hours is not enough. But no. uh, are there any questions? In the audience. Yes. You said an hour ago that you were in place with your time. Are you still? In sync with my time. In sync, sorry. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and I, I think that you can first see with uh, a time perspective. We can only see time of history in perspective, so I don't know. And I, I, it's not that important uh, uh, to me. What what is a big privilege for me? It is that I'm able to 
to work on projects where I'm trying things I had never tried before. Like uh, tonight we will have premiere on Mogadishu Soldier, uh, which doesn't have a narrative at all, doesn't have any main characters and so on. And, and of course that <coughs> gives some sleepless nights sometimes, but uh, I think this, I hope that I never learn how to make films. Uh, that there's something I have to investigate or try and, and so on, because I think that keeps me alive, both as a human being as a, and as a film person. I would say I, I am with experience, I'm much better in accepting chaos. When I was younger, I thought that I should to be a good editor, I should be in control, I should watch, let's say, 100 hours material, and then I should tell my director, you, you do this, 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 this. There, I start in a corner. I, I don't try uh, to be too wise, too early. Uh, but editing is, of course, a strange combination of using your senses and your intellect. Uh, but in that space, I think that this almost spiritual experience that you are talking about, where does things come from? I think there is something in the material, there is something, and I see my directors as part of my material, and in this three angle, there appear something. Uh, and, but I, I think it, it, is, it is not, Sometimes I have also met directors who were saying, ah, we should have intuitive editing. Yes, intuitive, and so on. And I have discovered that it has been an excuse because they, they don't know what they want. 
I think it is important that we both, it is a combination of order and chaos. I don't believe that just in this, now I'm struck by lightning, the inspiration comes to me. Inspiration comes after testing, trying, playing, all that, working with the material, and then suddenly and discussing and trying and, and these beautiful moments where, for example, you have worked with a problem with the director and then suddenly both at the same time say, now I have the idea, now I have the solution and we have the same solution. It's of course because we have worked together trying to solve that and then why does it suddenly click at that moment? So I, I think, I believe in, 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 in these magical moments but I think they grow out of hard work. I, I, my, my wife or my girlfriend, she is composer and also violinist, and for example, sometimes she had done improvisation concerts. And she said to do an improvisation concert, I really have to exercise a lot up to that. So the violin is part of my body. It's not, I can't make an improvisation concert not playing violin for two weeks. So it's something that you're so much into this that you can let it flow. I don't know if it was answered to your question, but Of course, of course, I, I think it's important that all the time question what we are doing and try sometimes what I do at a certain point, I'm also trying to throw out a lot, make the film much shorter than it should be to get clearness and then, for example, suddenly something appear uh, because there's fewer elements. I think for me, I'm, I'm always trying to make it as simple as possible for me in the process, not to make things superficial, but to get into the depth of things. And uh, but of course, there's also there's an element of luck uh, that suddenly I see, especially in these very big projects with thousands of hours of material, that you suddenly see that image. It it's luck, but but I I, I yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much.